Hello and welcome to the Gilmore Ball Z bonus episodes for the Gohan and Rory Book Club Fund. Because of your generous donations, uh, today we watched the Amy Sherman Palladino show uh, follow-up to Gilmore Girls, I guess? It's not related, but the show Bunheads. I'm Paige. And I'm Grant. And this show was weird. Yeah, so we watched the pilot episode of Bunheads, and it was a trip. Yeah, I think it only got one season, so it would have been possible to watch the entire show, but we only have so much time in our lives and we have more garbage to watch. So we watched the pilot. Grant, what happened in the pilot of Bunheads? Well, in the pilot of Bunheads, we start with our main character, Michelle, who is a Vegas dancer. Um... She's, you know, they they make some references later in the episode of people calling her a stripper, calling her a pole dancer, calling her like a Playboy playmate. She's none of those things. She No, keeps... she'd get paid more if she showed her boobs, but yeah, she doesn't. The, yeah, the first scene is actually her talking with her friend about how they would get paid more if they showed their boobs, but they don't show their boobs. Uh, her friend does not show her boobs because she has very small boobs, so nobody would want to see them, um, which that's a whole other discussion. Um, but she's convinced nobody would want to see them. And yeah, boob size is weirdly important in the show. Boob size is weirdly important in the show, although I guess given that it's about, like, dance Dancers. and ballerinas, like, boob yeah. size seems to come up a lot. I mean, boob size comes up a lot in society because of the way society objectifies women, but it seems like it comes up in a very unique way in dance a lot, from what yeah. I've understood. It, I mean, it has to do with what your body can and can't do. Neither of us are dancers. This is not our world. But going off of the little bits I know. Yeah, just the way that your mass is distributed is going to affect what you can and can't do as a dancer. Yep. But anyway, so she's, you know, big feathers on her head, waving around, dancer, dancey dance. And she's. it starts with her and her friend lamenting the fact that the dancing they do is more technically demanding than mm-hmm. the girls who come on at the end of the routine and just show their boobs. But the girls who show their boobs at the end of the routine get paid more money because they're showing their boobs. Um, which again plays into this whole weird thing of Amy Sherman Palladino's tendency to like have women putting down other women, but that's a whole other discussion. So Michelle is a Vegas dancer and she's not happy with her life. She's kind of at rock bottom when we find her in this episode. Uh, she lives in a crappy apartment where like the, the AC unit doesn't work. She all she does is either drink alone at her apartment or drink with her friends. It seems like that's really the only thing she does is go out and get drunk. Yeah. And her career has just stagnated where she's just been this backup dancer at like a Vegas titty show for however many years. Yeah. And her neighbor is a prostitute played by Alex Borenstein. Yeah. Alex Borstein has a, a short cameo as the as the prostitute who lives next door. Um, and is the very stereotypical, like, cheap Vegas prostitute with, like, the really obviously fake blonde wig and the really, really heavy blue eyeshadow. Um, and, like, I think she's smoking a cigarette in the scene, so she's, like, again, much. we could get into a much more nuanced conversation about sex work, but that'd be a completely different show. Uh, but she's definitely the stereotype of, like, a cheap prostitute. She's just, she's just kind of at a dead end in her life, Michelle is. And there's this guy named Hubble, who is basically stalking her. Yeah, um, you don't get a good first impression of Hubble. Uh, I argue you don't get any good impression of Hubble. 100% fair. He, but he shows up, he is a business businessman who rolls through 
Vegas regularly on business trips. And whenever he does, he comes backstage, he gives her gifts, he takes her out to dinner and just is obviously obsessed with her. Though he saw her on stage and he fell in love and he's obsessed with her. Yep. And it's fucking creepy. It's very creepy. Um, and she obviously like doesn't want him there. Yeah, she cl- she makes it very, very clear that she is uncomfortable with how familiar he is with her and he keeps showing up. So he shows up and she blows him off because she has a really, really important audition the next morning. She's auditioning to be in the show Chicago. And she's been working her ass off to get this audition. And you get the vibe that this is like her kind of her big break. Um, yeah, like learned- later in the show, they yeah, they say that she did background chorusy Broadway stuff, but this would be a swing. Yeah, you you get the vibe earlier in the episode that, or later in the episode, you you find out that she did have some success earlier in her career. But this is like her chance to breathe a second wind into her career. Is this Chicago audition? So she foregoes going out with creepy Hubble. She foregoes going out with her friends. She gets a good night's sleep. She shows up for this audition on time. She's ready to go. The director doesn't even let her dance. Her buddy who got her the hookup for this audition, is like, please just give give me five minutes to show you she's really good. And the director's like, nope, she's not what we need. And Michelle puts together basically that it's that she's starting to get old. Um, and she's not old, but, you know, Broadway old, right? She's not, she's not young and sexy anymore. She's, if I had to guess, she's probably in her 30s. Um, early 30s, but she's probably like in her 30s. So... She's just like, well, I'm washed up because the system is screwed up and I'm washed up at 30. Um, And she's feeling really down on herself, just really upset about it. And Hubble shows up at her show again the next day and gives her this beautiful watch and is like, please have dinner with me. I want to I want to talk to you. And they go out to dinner. She gets incredibly, incredibly drunk and starts talking about how he's so nice to her and he's so sweet, and I'm always so mean to you, but you're so sweet, and it's just, it's not fair, and he's like, no, I think you're wonderful. Have I ever told you about where I live? I live in this beautiful town on the coast. I have this, you know, house up on a bluff with a gorgeous view. I'd really love, I know that we don't really know each other, but I'd really love for you to come with me there and for me to take care of you. I want you to marry me. And... She's just drunk enough that she says yes, which is the beginning of every great love story. Yeah, especially when it's like, like, let's just strip everything out for a second. Uh, a man falls in love with a Vegas showgirl, gets her drunk and tells her that he wants to take care of her and gives her a lot of crap and she comes with him. Like, that's not not creepy. Yeah, no, this whole thing is fucked up. Um, but they get drive through Vegas married and she just doesn't even pack up her shit, it seems like. Like, she just abandons her apartment and goes with him, drives with him back to paradise. Literally, the town's called Paradise. And when she gets to his house in paradise, she realizes there are a couple things that he left out. Namely, that he lives with his mother, uh, to quote her, like a serial killer, in her house... That he owns the house, but it's her house, right? She's decorated the whole place in creepy clowns and just other random tchotchkes and things. And it's just, it's horrifying. This absolutely horrifying home. And he has not told his mother, Fanny, that any of this is happening. 
So we got our intro on our other main character, Fanny, played by Kelly Bishop, who is Emily Gilmore on Gilmore Girls. And she is a dance instructor. She has a dance studio out behind the house where she teaches, like, teenage girls ballet. So we meet Fanny. Um, she She's definitely, like, if Emily Gilmore was more hippie. Yeah. Uh, she definitely still has that same kind of stern attitude, but she's a little more laid back. You know, she's a dance instructor. It's, you can see that Kelly Bishop is flexing some of her range here, but is still filling a similar role in the story. Yeah, I have some questions about Fanny that we can get to later. Yeah. Um, and we also meet four girls in Fanny's class who also seem like they're going to be important characters moving forward. Uh, I don't remember any of their names, but I do have them named by their personalities. Uh, uh, one was e- named Boo. I remember that. Yeah, I remember Eager, Jaded, Boobs, and There. Uh, <laughs> one of them is very <sighs> eager and happy to be a ballerina, but she's not very confident in herself. Uh, the other one's jaded and bitchy. Uh, one of them is obsessed with her own boobs and thinks they're too big. Uh, pretty much every single piece of dialogue she has in this episode is her talking about her own boobs. And I want to be clear, like, there are, is a lot of drama, especially for adolescent girls, about if their body develops either too quickly or she has large boobs, especially as a dancer, and figuring out how to navigate the world with large breasts. It's not quite as simple as big breasts, guys love you, it's awesome. But it is a weirdly, like, front and center, like, her main character thing. Moving yeah, on. Yeah, like, I, it's totally a believable anxiety. Like, while I am not and have never been a teenage girl, I have been friends with teenage girls when I was a teenage boy. And so, like, I have at least seen secondhand that... You know, anxiety over your body and particularly over your breasts when so much of society puts an emphasis on them is a thing. Like, I get it. But yeah, it was it was a weird thing to lead with. And it was basically the only thing she talked about the entire episode, which was just like, I don't know. Was, I'd, I'd be curious to see how that character develops moving forward. Um, and then there was a fourth girl who was just kind of there and never made an impression. Yep. Um... And so they're doing their thing. This So, like, okay, so she comes, Michelle comes to this town, meets the weird mother. Mother freaks the fuck out. Fanny freaks the fuck out at this notion that her son just got up and married to a Vegas showgirl. And yep. she clearly calls everybody in town to gossip about it and also organize a party to have a get-together to come meet her. Yep. Because she's like, you need to go down the street to this store and get a dress for this party. And Michelle's like, okay, so she goes down the street to the store to get a dress for the party, and we meet Truly, who is very anxious and possibly crazier than Hubble. It very much reminded me of Trent on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah, there How- were weird Crazy Ex-Girlfriend vibes all over the place, because I also got some like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend vibes from Michelle. For sure. Oh, totally. Michelle is definitely like a weird amalgam of Lorelai and Rebecca. Yeah. Um... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was really heavily inspired by Gilmore Girls. Like, I'd be, I would be shocked if Rachel Bloom is not an Amy Sherman Palladino fan. So, Truly used to date Hubble and apparently never got over it that they broke up. So, she has a full-on meltdown by g- helping Michelle buy a dress. Um, which does have the great interaction of, like, here, this is the dress. Like, oh, should I try it on? She's like, it will fit you. I know because I made it. 
and you are very tall and have very long legs. Now, please leave my store. Would you like any shoes? And importantly, like the other person in the store is Sam, who's played the same, by the same actress who plays Gypsy, the car mechanic in Gilmore Girls in a very different role. Yeah. Uh, so that's a thing. So this party happens and there's a weird scene where like, okay, so everyone's obviously staring at her and she feels super uncomfortable and super judged. And she goes upstairs to like the one room in the house, which is the bedroom to the one room in the house that isn't covered in Fanny's weird shit and looks out the window at the balcony and, and, and Hubble comes and finds her. And he's like, Hey, and the, the balcony does have a beautiful view of the ocean. Yeah. Like it's the, it's the one part of his story that wasn't twisting the truth. And she's like, Hey, you told me that this place has a beautiful view. You did not tell me that you live with your mother. You did not tell me that she has the dance studio in the back, so she's literally always here. You didn't tell me this town doesn't have a movie theater and the only clothing store in town, like, the only employee is your psycho ex-girlfriend. Like... This is smaller than Stars Hollow. Yeah, like, you... She's like, you lied to me. And... Also, I don't love you. And he's like, I know you don't love me. I'm not an idiot. I know that this is crazy, but I think you're really great. And I think that you're capable of love. And I think that I can give you all the things you want. And I think if you'll just stick with me and give me a chance, I think you'll learn to love me, which is fucked up. I feel like that's not even the reason it's fucked up. I think there is... A lot of debate, especially in the world of romance, of if modern romance is part of the problem and if there's a problem with we will grow to love each other over time, because I mean, that would be what would happen in like arranged marriages. Uh, Or even like, if you look back in a few Jane Austen books, that's definitely how things go. That's sense and sensibility right there. But my bigger problem here isn't even necessarily that. It's that there is a trope that is bothering me more and more. And I think it can be done well or it can be done very badly. And here it was not done well. Of the man being seen as romantic because he gives a speech where he tells a woman he's barely met that he knows her and understands her. And he just like explains who this person is. Um... A, an example that I know that I like better than you do, but it's at least he knows her, is in Harry Met Sally when he gives a speech at the end about, you know, I love how you, you know, wear a sweater when it's 70 degrees out and all that stuff. But here it's just like he's seen her in a Vegas show a couple of times and maybe bought her drinks while she tries to avoid him. He doesn't know her well enough to know that he's creepy and should give her space and stop stalking her, but he claims he knows her enough to know what she wants out of life. And it works because then at the end of the scene, she fucks him. Yup. It's just, ah. Yeah, well, they kiss and it's a good kiss. So then they have sex. Yeah, sure. I guess that's how that works. The marriage Um, is consummated. And like all the stuff that you said is totally true. But also like my issue isn't necessarily the you'll learn to love me part because like, yeah, okay, you're right. Like arranged marriages are a thing in some cultures And there are a lot of people where the love comes after. And like, you know, again, that's a whole other topic that neither of us are super qualified to talk about. But it's a thing that does happen sometimes. Right. But 
that nothing that he said negates the I was lying to you about 90% of the details of my life part. Yes, absolutely. And that's not a thing in most arranged marriages. And specifically, like, when she says, like, hey, you were leaving out details that were important, he was like, well, if I had, you wouldn't have come with me. So he was, like, it's not even like he forgot to say things. He was actively leaving parts of the story out. He was out actively that he misleading her. Like, yeah. he got yeah. her drunk and actively misled her to get to take advantage of the fact that she was at rock bottom to get mm-hmm. her to marry him. It's absolutely, it's screwed up. And I really hope that the rest of this show addresses that properly. Well, and it's weird because like we can get to it in a minute, but I'm not sure how this show wants us to see Hubble, but that can come later. Yeah. So that all happens. They have sex in the middle, like during the party and come back downstairs, having obviously just had sex. And Fanny's they're very like, giggly. They're very giggly and their hair is messy. Not really. It's a, it's you know, she's got a couple flyaways and he's a little must. Which is definitely TV super must. But for me, it's like after I've brushed my hair and tried to make it lie down flat. Oh, for sure. But still, they have, they have TV sex hair. Um, and so then Fanny causes a big drama in the middle of the party screaming about how they had sex. And like Michelle storms out and Hubble has this whole like speech, whatever, nobody cares. But Michelle goes to the dance studio in the back. And meets up with the girls. Yeah, and- she, it, not like intentionally. She's no, trying to but get she, some air and the girls had gone there to drink beer quietly. Yeah, she bumps into them and gets to talking with them. And there's this big audition for some big ballet thing happening at the dance school. So The, the Joffrey e- Institute, which didn't sound quite as Game of Thronesy then. Yeah, so the overly eager girl is feeling self-conscious because she doesn't know if she can do it. Because, and she has a body. Yeah, her body. It's a human body. Yeah, her body type isn't ballerina y enough, I guess. Um, and, like, you know, she is a little shorter. She is a little on the bigger side, but, like, by ballerina standards, not, like, whatever. Um, especially compared to the jaded bitchy girl who is, like, super, super beanpole, tall, elongated, elegant swan. And she's like, oh, I'm definitely going to get it, but I don't want to do it. But like, whatever. I, what else is there to do? So I guess I'll do it. It's dumb. Her dad's gay. Her dad's also gay, apparently. This is dropped this is randomly. Like the reason, like her mom is always traveling and her dad is gay. And that's used as an excuse for why she is what, like she is. Sure. Um, but they get talking to Michelle, who's like actually done Broadway stuff and things and had a career and they're like, Oh, what was it like? What's an audition like and everything. And there's actually a really cool scene where she's like, okay, I'm going to show you girls what an audition's like. We're going to do a mock audition right now. And she hands out numbers and it's like, all right, we were auditioning for dogs, the sequel to cats. And here's your numbers. Sorry for making you wait 16 hours in the rain. Uh, here's the routine. And she turns on the boombox, shows them a short little routine. It's like, okay, now you do it. And they take a couple tries, and all four girls are basically getting into it, and they're doing the routine. And you can see, like, even even someone like me who knows jack shit about dance, just the way it's directed, I can see what the intent was, where the elegant swan jaded bitchy girl is in front. And she's doing all of the dance moves technically perfectly, but she doesn't have any personality while she's doing them. She's like a robot going through the motions. Whereas the more eager but less confident girl is in the back 
And she's maybe her movements are maybe a little bit messier. She's maybe not quite perfectly doing everything, but she's clearly having fun with it. She's bringing attitude to it. She's enjoying herself. And that makes her more interesting to watch. Especially from the world that Michelle is from, which is musical theater instead of ballet. Yeah. So she sees that and she's like, oh, hold on. Let's swap you two. Let's put you in front. They do it again. Now that she's more confident being in front, she kills it. Everyone has a great time. And she says like, hey, the Joffrey Institute is going to have their world rocked tomorrow. You can do this. And the bitchy girl's like, well, it's real ballet. It's not like what you know. I'm the mean one. Uh, And that happens. And while all that's happening, Fanny is sort of watching through the crack door and sees Michelle work with them and sees like, oh, no, she really does know what she's doing and she really is a good dancer and she really understands this. And this is a thing we have in common. Yeah. So she invites Michelle out for drinks. So the last scene of this pilot is... This this party has been completely abandoned. (laughs) Yeah, who gives a shit? Uh, The... The last scene of this pilot is them at the bar together, and they kind of both share their stories that Michelle got a full ride scholarship to this really prestigious dance academy. Like she says herself, I had the skills, I had the opportunities, I had the talent, I had the education, I didn't have the focus. And so she didn't have the drive to really use all of that other stuff she had to its fullest. And at one point, a friend was like, hey, I got a job at Caesar's Palace. Want to come with me? She said, sure. And then she just kind of got stuck there and couldn't get out. And then Fanny shares her story where she had a really big career in ballet, it seems like. Mm -hmm. But she got pregnant with Hubble. And so she was like, okay, I'll have the kid. Hubble ruined another woman's life. It's two two women whose lives have been ruined by Hubble. Uh, Even when one of them thought her life was already ruined. Yeah, so like... She had Hubble, and she's like, okay, I'll raise him. When he's old enough, I'll go back to work, and it'll be fine. But Hubble's father didn't stick around. So she was just stuck as a single mother raising this kid, and so she never got back into it. And now she's an old dance teacher. And so they both kind of have these, not the same, but similar enough stories that they start to understand each other. Yep. And like, okay, well, let's, you know, I want to see what you've got. Let's dance. And she... Fanny puts a song on the radio and they dance and they have a couple, like they have a couple drinks and they're dancing and they're having fun. And they're really starting to like have fun with each other and realize, okay, we can get along. Even if the, the circumstances behind this are weird and then truly walks into the bar and truly Hubble's ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Truly Hubble's ex-girlfriend walks into the bar and she's like, Fanny, I need to talk to you. And they're like, what happened? What happened? What happened? And this episode ends with Hubble having gone out on a drive to try to find his mother and wife who'd both disappeared, turning a blind corner and getting killed in a car accident. Yup. Next episode is his memorial service. So we get in very short proximity, we get one woman whose life is forever altered by Hubble's birth and another woman whose life is forever altered by his death. I mean, both of them will probably have their lives forever altered by his death. It is her son's death. For sure, but still, it's a thing. It's a bookend thing they did in this scene. Yes. And that is how the pilot of this show ends. Yeah. It was It was wild. I, well, okay, I want to jump right into what I thought about it. Yeah. It's definitely Paladino dialogue. 
right. Paladino dialogue. Yeah, the dialogue is fresh. It's snappy. It's fun. It, I, I, you get a good grasp on most of the characters in this episode. Yeah. And honestly, like, if with Hubble dead, obviously the show is going to mostly be orbiting around Michelle and Fanny's relationship, which I found to be really interesting. Like, we know Kelly Bishop is a good actress. It seems, I don't know her name, but it seems like this woman they have playing Michelle is a good actress. And there is interesting parallelism between the two of them. So that was all really cool. Yeah, actually, real quick, I just want to call out the actress who plays Michelle is a woman named Sutton Foster, who is actually a deal in Broadway. She has two Tonys. I've heard that name before. Uh huh. She was, uh, she got a lead actress in a musical for both Millie and Thoroughly Modern Millie, which she's done a couple of times, and for Reno in uh, Anything Goes. She's done a lot of big roles. She was actually Fiona in Trek for a while. Uh, but what she was doing most recently in 2019, she was playing uh, the baker's wife in the Hollywood Bowl production of Into the Woods. Oh, she'd be a good baker's wife. She'd be a good baker's wife. And then uh, this will mean less to you, but in 2020, she was supposed to be doing, I don't know if she actually got a chance to do it before Corona hit or if she's going to get a chance to do it after, uh, but she was playing Marion, the librarian in Music Man in the Broadway revival. Okay. Which is the lead female role in that. Like, these are all big, huge classic roles that she's played in the last 20 years or so. So she is a deal. She is a deal. And she's obviously very good. Yeah. Um, so that all was really interesting. I could not give less of a flying fuck about these teenagers. No. I just, I don't, I don't care. I really don't. Um, maybe future episodes would get me to care. But, like, the fact that two of them could have been completely scrapped... I'm honestly, I would have been more interested if it had just been totally orbiting around these two, uh, Boo and, um, Sasha, I think were their names. Sure. Might as well be. If it was just orbiting around those two, I'd find that more interesting because that dichotomy of like a girl who has all of the innate talent and the quote unquote correct body type, but doesn't have her heart in it versus the girl who doesn't necessarily have those things, but does have her whole heart into it and really loves doing it. Yeah. Like it's been done before, but it's been done before because it's interesting. Yep. I mean, again, it's, it's the low class warrior and the Saiyan elite. Like that would be more interesting. I think if we weren't distracted by the other two girls, especially because they all looked similar enough that I was always confused who was who. Yeah. Um, so like, there was a mixed bag in this episode, but overall, like I would, w- I would watch more of it. Like I would give it a couple more episodes to see if it could grab me. I didn't, yeah. I didn't hate it. The only thing is that I, I really am not sure if I would trust this show to accurately, like now that he's dead, I don't oh. know if this show is going to accurately, um, address the ways in which Hubble was obviously a total fucking creep. Yeah. I would believe the show just tries to write those things off just because he died. A really weird thing. Because I completely agree with you that Hubble is a creep. Uh, He took advantage of a drunk woman at rock bottom to get her to marry him because he was obsessed with her and basically stalking her. And then dropped her into a situation with no forewarning and just expected her to swim. Like, there is no level on which he's not terrible but i feel like they want us to like him 
Yeah. twice in this episode, like, first, like, right before they have sex, but also when they're at dinner, she talks about how beautiful the watch she, he gave her is, which is, like, girl, did he get bought with a watch? Really? Okay, that was happening in 2012, sure. Uh, but she says, you don't want me, I'm Godzilla. And that's the kind of havoc I wreck in people's life. And he, like... He does that Sherman Palladino thing where he extends her metaphor and is able to work on her level, where he says, well, what about if I'm the scientist who understands that Godzilla is actually someone who is attacking not because she's evil, but because she has eggs that she laid somewhere that she wants to protect? What about if you're someone who's trying to keep yourself safe, basically? And they let him understand her, but still everything he does is actively horrible. Yeah, that moment was the only time I actually liked him and Agreed. possibly found their relationship believable. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, it is the exact same thing that they do on Gilmore Girls, where it's like, oh, he understands on her level. Yeah. Like, and that's a thing that they both understand. Like, even beyond the, like, oh, he gets her, it's like, oh, that's something they have in common. They both understand Godzilla. Yep. And, like, they're both in that same brain space. But, like, yeah, that doesn't erase the fact that everything he actually did was objectively horrible. And I think it's weird that they make him objectively horrible because they... Obviously, the point of this episode, like, part of this is just to get her in this situation and get him out of the way. And so what we get for the rest of the series, I'm guessing, I haven't seen any other episodes, is Michelle and Fanny... Two women who are butting heads, who come from very different lives, but have a similar passion for dance, being stuck in a house together, being stuck in a career together, and trying to make it work with a bunch of girls with good hearts who just want to dance. And it puts a lot of the female-centric relationships that Amy Sherman Palladino is very good at. Uh, like we've seen it in Gilmore Girls, we've seen it, he- like I'm guessing it happens here, we've definitely seen it in Ms. Maisel. And getting Hubble out of the way was a very smart move for that, getting him so he can get her in the situation and then killing him. But why make him so horrible? Yeah, (laughs) I just, I don't... Couldn't we have, like, had a situation where she falls head over heels in love with a guy and then he dies? Like, I understand she'd be sadder and that'd be harder. Or just, like, any other situation where they both agree that this is advantageous and he doesn't get her drunk? Like, so many options. Yeah, like, there's just... I don't understand that. And Mm -hmm. I don't trust the show to properly address that. So, like, that was... That's my most concrete complaint, I think, about this, other than just the fact that the teenage girls weren't, uh, weren't interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think like I would watch more of this show. I would, I would give it a, give it a couple more episodes and see if it could grab me. I would say one other thing is that, and I would want to see how this plays out because it's a, it's a common problem with pilots. I couldn't get a handle on who Fanny was as a character on one side and that it does. I don't have a problem with her being complex and multifaceted. I just couldn't quite get a handle on it. Um... We are told that she was a ballet dancer who danced with a prestigious company. We're told that she looks down on Michelle for wearing shorts. You know, that side is very Emily Gilmore, very classy, very, you know, fit in my mold, or I judge you. But she's also a Buddhist. 
Well, not even that she's a Buddhist. Like, we see no evidence of her Buddhism except in that she keeps a altar in the house. But that she has pictures of clowns everywhere and yeah. drinks wine that she claims is good because it has nuns on it. So it's like wacky eccentric mom, but also like ballet no shorts mom. And I'm not really sure how that comes together. And that didn't feel concrete for me. One thing that is interesting to note is that... um like, and I was thinking of it because this episode is actually dedicated in the memory of Amy Sh- Sherman Palladino's father, uh, Don Sherman, who was a comedian. And that's why she went on to do Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, because uh, she was basing it on the stories he told her of working as a comedian in that time period. Um, but one thing that is interesting is the way this show fuses different parts of Amy Sherman Palladino's interest set. Because you do see her bringing some of her Gilmore Girls comfort zone in here. Small town, kooky people, you know, mother-daughter relationships, even though this one's a little different and how they butt heads, like that kind of thing. Very female-centric. But dancing is actually what her mom was into. Her dad was a comedian, but her mother was a dancer. And so this is a world that is very important to her, and it is interesting that she pulled that, and then she pulled her dad's world later. That is interesting. But what was with the clowns? I don't know. That felt like... They just needed a visual representation to shock her as soon as she walks in the door that this is not what she signed up for. Yeah. But I feel like there would be a better way to do that. I don't know. Yeah. So anything more you want to say? I don't really have anything more to say about this. I It was it was an enjoyable hour of television. Apparently, if we watch longer, a ton of Gilmore Girls actors would get pulled in. Not just the actors who plays Gypsy or Kelly Bishop, but also like... Sean Gunn, who plays Kirk, is in there. Uh, The guy who plays TJ is in there. The guy who plays Zach is in there. Some of our least favorite characters get pulled in. Also, uh, Digger Styles actor gets pulled in. Oh, uh, geez. These are all people I wanted to see more of. Right? I'm sure they're all nice people and good actors. Yes, no, I've seen some of them in other roles and have liked them, but like she just pulled a ton of people who were not having other careers at the time. Um, I guess that's Bunhead's. Thank you for donating to the Rory and Gohan Fund. As we said last episode, it's been revamped a little bit. There's a ton of different charities it can go to, including Room to Read, a charity for education, especially literacy in developing countries. Uh, There's a lot of COVID-related charities, a lot of Black Lives Matter-related charities, and the Hispanic Fund, which helps the Hispanic and Latinx community in a lot of ways, especially advocacy. Any of them are worthy causes. We support all of them. And if you donate to any of them, we'll match them, unlock bonus episodes, and give you some cool rewards. Information is on the website. Thank you, and we'll see you again Saturday for our regularly scheduled episode. 